Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. A good day to you, everybody, and a good Martin Luther King Day. I do believe that uh, he uh, deserves to have a day in his honor. But I also believe that others do, and that he's the only person we honor. We had Washington's birthday, we had Lincoln's birthday, we had Columbus Day, and they're all pretty, well, the first two are dead. I don't mean the, the humans, I mean the birthdays. President's Day is a joke. It, it was a... Uh, was it done in the uh, Nixon administration? Is that correct? When did that happen? Uh, it, it, the, it gives you an idea of how unwise most leaders are. People don't achieve status and power because of wisdom. They may have street smarts, they may have charisma, they may have corruption, they may have a whole host of things, but the most important is lacking. To deprive a country of the birthdays of its two most important presidents, arguably two of the most important people who ever uh, lived in the United States, and for that matter, given America's influence on the world, in the world, was an act of, of considerable foolishness. Anyway, most of the time on Martin Luther King Day, I would play excerpts from his one of his speeches, and we may, in fact, do that again. But I, I want to share with you, given the political nature of the year 2024, I want to share with you a truly magnificent piece written by Brett Stephens in the New York Times. Brett Stephens was one of the lead opinion writers for the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times wooed him over. I'll never forget his first column. Remember that? You remember what his first column for the New York Times was on? Global warming. He had a skeptical view of what was, what was mainstream media preoccupation and hysteria, and remains preoccupation and hysteria. A tangential thought, if I may, there are record-setting lows in parts of the United States today. Big parts. Big parts, the record-setting? I know big parts, horrific cold. People are dying of cold. How many Americans have died of heat I don't know the answer, but I know Bjorn Lomborg, who knows an immense amount about this, tells us every year far more human beings die of cold than of heat. This doesn't matter to the left. doesn't matter to the environmentalists. Nothing matters. The shattering of the, uh, the Western world's economy, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. They have found a religion. 
environmentalism is as much a religion as Christianity or Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. Brett Stephens uh, hates Donald Trump, but he wrote a, a, in fact, he said he voted for Joe Biden, even though he is essentially a, a conservative in his instincts. And uh, nevertheless, he wrote a piece for the New York Times this weekend, January see, 11th, what is today, the 15th, so last week, the end of last week, I just read it this weekend. And the New York Times uh, readers hated it, just hated it. Do you know how many comments there are? It gives you an idea of the passion that arose. 2,945 comments. I, I don't know if you could still make a comment. The, after 100, it, I don't assume most are read. But I, I read them and they hated him. And so this is the finest piece, or one of the finest pieces I have read on the case for Trump. And it's titled, The Case for Trump by Someone Who Wants Him to Lose. After reading this, don't you wonder why do you want him to lose? So there, there is only one answer, and that is he hates the man. And I had a dialogue, I had a number of dialogues with Brett Stephens over this, including on the New York Times Facebook page. And a while ago, he wrote a column uh, criticizing me for supporting Trump. And it's, it's somewhere in the archives. Barring a political miracle, you really need to hear this piece. You should send this, really send this to every person in your life who is angry at you because you will vote for Trump if he is nominated and say this is a New York Times columnist who hates Donald Trump. Maybe you will read him whereas you won't listen to me. This is really a good thing to do for you, for your relationships. Barring a political miracle or an act of God, it is overwhelmingly likely that Donald Trump will again be the Republican Party's nominee for president. Assuming the Democratic nominee in the fall is Joe Biden, polls show Trump with a better than even chance of returning to the White House next year. Lord help us. What should those of us who have consistently opposed him do? And he has. He has consistently opposed uh, Donald Trump. You can't defeat an opponent if you refuse to understand what makes him formidable. For that alone, you should send this piece. Which, are we putting it up at uh, DennisPrager.com? You should send this piece to your son or daughter who uh, is uh, deeply angry to the point of perhaps even alienation from you. You can't defeat an opponent if you refuse to understand what makes him formidable. For that alone... You should send this piece to all the Democrats in your life. Too many people, especially progressives, fail to think deeply about the enduring sources of his appeal. And to do so without calling him names or disparaging his supporters, by the way, he admits he's called him names. 
He compared him to Mussolini. He admitted it. (laughs) Or disparaging his supporters. You hear that? Are you a supporter who's been disparaged by members of your family or friends? Too many people have done this. Or attributing his resurgence to nefarious foreign actors or the unfairness of the electoral college. It's already off to a good start. Since I will spend the coming year strenuously opposing his candidacy, let me here make the best case for Trump that I can. Begin with fundamentals. Trump got three big things right, or at least more right than wrong. Arguably the single most important geopolitical fact of the century is the mass migration of people from south to north and east to west, causing tectonic, demographic, cultural, economic, and ultimately political shifts. Trump understood this from the start of his presidency, of his presidential candidacy in 2015, the same year Europe was overwhelmed by a largely uncontrolled migration from the Middle East and Africa. As he said... A nation without borders is not a nation at all. We must have a wall. The rule of law matters. Many of Trump's opponents refuse to see virtually unchecked migration as a problem for the West at all. The the lines in this piece are just so true. Many of Trump's opponents refuse to see virtually unchecked migration as a problem for the West at all. I would go further. Liberals don't see it as a problem. Progressives see it as a great thing. The more the West stops being the West, the more progressives, our today's communists, like it. How a society produces, how a good society produces people like this, that's a real, real problem, trying to figure that out. I've devoted my life to it. How have we produced so many despicable human beings who devote their lives to crushing the finest country ever made? We'll be back. What an important piece. It's up at DennisPrager.com. It's in the New York Times. Brett Stephens explaining to his largely foolish readership, and I say that because I read many of the comments. I didn't read 3,000. I read the most popular, and every one misses everything he said. It is as if he wrote nothing. It, The progressive mind is a sick mind with regard to life. They may be terrific friends, partners, parents. They may, uh, uh, the human being is complex, but they are destructive fools. There is no way to get to them, none. If Brett Stephens' piece can't even touch them, that there is, they won't even say, well, you know, he may have a point there. And he constantly repeats, I hate Trump, I hate Trump, it doesn't matter. It is not enough to hate Trump. You must say that he has done nothing good. 
and he stand, every one of his supporters is a fascist. That's what the New York Times readership believes. So he's writing about the most important geopolitical fact of the century, the mass migration of people from south to north and east to west. Trump understood this, he said. Many of Trump's opponents refuse to see virtually unchecked migration as a problem for the West at all. Some of them see it as an opportunity to demonstrate their humanitarianism. Others look at it as an inexhaustible source of cheap labor. That's big business. The collusion of the left in big business is the is truly as scary a thing as has happened in the United States among the many scary things of the last half century. It is total collusion, big business, and uh, and big government. Total. There is no opposition of big business to big government. None. They collude, including on having open borders. Big, as a rule, stinks. Big education has ruined children. Big labor has ruined workers. Like when they when they push for minimum wage, and then what you end up with is more restaurant closings, or push Uber drivers to to have to join a union when they want to be independent contractors. Not to mention all their progressive positions. Progressive, what a joke! It's Orwellian. They also have the habit of denouncing those who disagree with them as racists. That's why I said you should send this piece to your to your kids who denounce you as racist. I feel my heart breaks for you. God, you nurture this child, you love this child, and they turn out to be a punk. If a child calls you a racist, he or she is a punk. I can say it, you can't. Well, I'm not sure you can't. I'm totally ambivalent. There are very few things I'm ambivalent about. I'm ambivalent about how much parents should confront, or how much people should confront relatives, but especially children. People are so afraid of their children. It's really a terrible thing. They They lose their integrity because of their fear of their children. But I understand that my heart breaks for them. child calls you a racist because you think that America should survive? (sighs) Enforcing control at the border, whether through a wall of fence or some other mechanism, isn't racism. This is a New York Times columnist. You think there's one other columnist who would say that? Maybe Brooks. He wouldn't write it, but I, I, I think... I think he would uh, agree with it. It's a basic requirement of statehood and peoplehood, which any nation has an obligation to protect and cherish, speaking about a border. Only now, as the consequences of Biden's lackadaisical approach to mass migration have become depressingly obvious on the sidewalks and in the shelters and public schools of liberal cities like New York and Chicago, Are Trump's opponents on this issue beginning to see the point? Are they? I wonder. They see the point about not having them come to New York and Chicago, but they don't care if they come to America. 
that is how scummy progressives are. But you know what? I just want to make this clear. People vote for them. If you vote Democrat, you deserve your city's condition. Simple. Uh, People blame politicians as if they they have landed here from uh, on some unidentified flying object that like they're extraterrestrials. They were elected by your neighbors. Public services paid by taxes exist for people who live here, not just anyone who makes his way into the country by violating its laws. Wow. I mean, every line is a winner. Every line is a winner. And and Gavin Newsom has announced that uh, California will pay for the medical bills of illegals just as for citizens. And he is a hero to every Democrat in California. To blame Newsom is to want to avoid the truth. People vote for him. The L.A. Times loves him. Okay? It's sad news. It's so much easier because people don't want to think that they're living among fools. It's very painful to think of so many of my fellow Americans as fools. I've loved this country all my life, including loving love of Americans. So this is not easy for me to say. But there is no other possible road to truth. A lot of people love Gavin Newsom. Back in a moment. Brett Stephens of the New York Times has written a piece explaining Trump to his deaf and blind readers. You should send this to every Democrat in your life. It won't do a damn thing, but at least let them know even the New York Times would publish certain things that you agree with. The ability of people to be brainwashed, the ease with which it is done, is very scary. I've, I've got, undergone some serious rethinking of human issues in the last couple of years. Last couple is literal, would be two, so last five years only. The ease of brainwash. People say men give birth. To say that is to say something that is beyond a lie. It is a lie. It is absurd. To have people say the absurd with such rapidity in such a a brief period of time, 10 years ago, no, do you know medical schools now say birthing persons, pregnant persons instead of pregnant women? Do you know that? I've read, I've read that to you, including Harvard. Harvard's turned out to be a real wasteland, hasn't it? The speed with which Harvard's name has turned to mud is one of the few good signs of our time. But I'm not actually fully happy about it. I would like our universities to have cachet. that None of them do. Virtually 99% are wastelands. 
wastelands. They brainwash children. That's why they hate PragerU, or they hate conservative speakers in general. Because it's so easy to undo the gigantic lies kids are told. Just bring us in for an hour. Just have them watch a PragerU video. That's why they, they, every single major progressive medium attacked PragerU in the last year. By the way, we, we put up the actual interview with me by NBC News. Give you an idea of what I said versus what they reported. It's, it's, worth, it's worth listening to. It's, uh, I assume, on the front page of PragerU, right? <sighs> Only now, as the consequences of Biden's lackadaisical approach to mass migration, as they have become depressingly obvious on the sidewalks and shelters and public schools of liberal cities like New York and Chicago, are Trump's opponents on this issue beginning to see the point? Public services paid by taxes exist for people who live here, not just anyone who makes his way into the country by violating its laws. That's when I spoke about Gavin Newsom and California, the Democrats here. A job market is structured by rules and regulations, not just an endless supply of desperate laborers prepared to work longer for less. Why aren't labor unions a uh, on board here. Do labor unions care about workers like communists cared about workers, like feminists care about women, like civil rights groups care about blacks? And it's They all are left-wing groups who use the group for power. That's it. Feminists don't give a damn about women. The feminist groups... I don't mean every feminist individual. They don't give a damn about women, as is proven by the fact that they're, they're, the, the vast majority of feminist groups have said nothing or supported having men in women's shelters. A woman is raped, goes to a shelter, and she may in fact find a, a guy with a penis in the, uh, in the next bed because he says he's a woman. And feminist groups are okay with that or in women's prisons, or, of course, women's sports. The world of the left is the world of the lie. If environmentalists cared about the environment, they would be passionate about nuclear power, which France is resuming, apparently. Environmentalists are what David Horowitz said to me in the 1990s, watermelons, Green on the outside, red on the inside. A national culture is sustained by common memories, ideals, laws, and a language. That's right. The assault on the national culture. The tearing apart of American history so we share nothing is part of the progressive movement. It's a really important article. Hello, everybody. I hope you had a good weekend. I'm not sure I said that in hour number one. I'm Dennis Prager. Thank you for being with me. You owe it to yourself, and you owe it to everyone in your life to send this article, to read it. Read it carefully. Read it twice. Almost every line is brilliant.
It is written by Brett Stephens of the New York Times, formerly of the Wall Street Journal, formerly of the Jerusalem Post. He is the one remaining conservative, but he is a Trump-hating conservative. But he has done the impossible, almost. He has explained Trump's appeal and said calling him a racist and all these other things and lying about him isn't going to help. Trump and his supporters called all this out, talking about uh, how uh, how much our institutions have betrayed us. And he is uh, Brett Stevens is in agreement with virtually everything that uh, that Donald Trump stands for. That's the irony. But he hates the man. Like I care if I like the person. Brett Stevens is an honorable, good man. And I, I'm, I'm happy he's writing. So this is not meant as a personal attack. It's not at all meant it as such. But there is a narcissism to the idea, Trump is right, but I hate the man. Who gives a damn what you think about the man? Do you know how little in my whole life I have concerned myself with, do I like the politician or the leader? This is such a 60s thing. Are you likable? Yes. It's important in in certain arenas of life, like to your friends. You should be likable to your friends. Do you ask if your surgeon is likable? Then why do you ask it about your president? A few readers might nod their heads in partial agreement. Then they'll ask, what about the election denialism? What about January 6th? What about the threat Trump poses to the very foundations of our democracy? All disqualifying, in my view. That is my Brett Stephens view. But it's also important to stretch one's mind a little. By the way, I just want to say, I don't, I don't fully believe Brett on this. Not that he's lying, but I think he's fooling himself. He hated Trump before January 6th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so what is it? January 6th has nothing to do with it. But it's also important to stretch one's mind a little and try to understand why so many voters are unimpressed about the, quote, end of democracy argument. For one thing, haven't they heard it before? And with the same apocalyptic intensity? In 2016, Trump was frequently compared to Benito Mussolini and other dictators, including by me. And he even has a link. (laughs) That's one of the great lines of this piece. The comparison might have proved more persuasive if Trump's presidency had been replete with jailed and assassinated political opponents, rigged or canceled elections, a muzzled or captured press, and Trump still holding office today rather than running to get his old job back. The election denialism is surely ugly, but it isn't quite unique. Prominent Democrats also denied the legitimacy of George W. Bush's two elections, the second one no less than the first. Yeah, right, that doesn't count. 
election denialism. Anyway, he points out something I say almost every day or every time I talk about Trump and, and the New York Times' lies about his being a threat to democracy and a dictator. He was president four years. Where were his, where were his dictatorial trends, policies then? Many rank-and-file Republicans regard the January 6th assault on the Capitol as a disgrace and the lowest point of Trump's presidency. But they also believe that it wasn't so much an insurrection as it was an ugly temper tantrum by Trump and his most rabid supporters, which never had a chance of succeeding. One reason for that is the judges Trump appointed to the federal bench and the Supreme Court rebuffed his legal efforts and he had no choice but to accept the rulings. An American version of Vladimir Putin? He simply is not. That's why warnings from Biden and others about the risk Trump poses to democracy are likely to fall flat even with many moderate voters. If there's any serious threat to democracy, doesn't it also come from Democratic judges and state officials? Listen to this. This is gutsy stuff. If there's any serious threat to democracy, doesn't it also come from Democratic judges and state officials who are using never-before-used legal theories, which even liberal law professors like Harvard's Lawrence Lessig regard as dangerous and absurd to try to kick Trump's name off ballots in Maine and Colorado? Yes, that might be the Democrats... Brett Stephens in the New York Times are writing. The Democrats, including all his colleagues at the New York Times, maybe they are the greater threat to democracy. When liberal partisans try to suppress democracy in the name of saving democracy, they aren't helping their cause politically or legally. They are merely confirming the worst stereotypes about their own hypocrisy. As it is, the 2024 election will not hinge on questions of democracy, but of delivery. Which candidate will do more for voters? That will turn on perceptions of which candidate did more for voters when they were in president, when they were president. How's that? Yeah, who did more for you, Biden or Trump? Who did more for you, fellow Americans? I know who did more for the elites, for the fanatics of the feminist movement, of the LGBT movement, of the environmentalist movement. But who did more for you? Biden supporters are convinced that the president has a good story to tell, but they also think that Trump has no story at all. Only a pack of self-aggrandizing lies. That's liberal self-delusion. The only problem with this article is if you highlight some sentences for your kid who thinks you're a racist for supporting Donald Trump, you'll be highlighting the whole article. No, I'm serious. It's a problem. Excluding the pandemic, a once-in-a-century event that would have knocked almost any sitting president sideways, Americans have reasons to remember the Trump years as good ones. For that line alone. OMG, whoa, 
Americans have good reasons, have reasons to remember the Trump years as good ones. That was printed in the New York Times. And good in a way that completely defied expert predictions of doom. Wages outpaced inflation, something they have just begun to do under Biden. That's only because of the phony inflation numbers. Stocks boomed. Unemployment fell to 50 years lows. Inflation and interest rates were low. He appealed to Americans who operated in the economy of things, builders, manufacturers, energy producers, food services, and the like, rather than in the economy of words. Another brilliant line. Lawyers, academics, journalists, civil servants. And he shared the law and order instincts of normal Americans, including respect for the police, something the left seemed to care about on January 6th, but was notably less concerned about during the months of rioting, violence, and semi-anarchy that followed George Floyd's murder. George Floyd was not murdered, and I expect one day Brett Stephens will write about that. He might have been killed, but he wasn't murdered. If you don't know the difference, read my commentary on the Ten Commandments in my rational Bible. As for foreign policy, it's worth asking. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. The piece is up at DennisPrager.com. We return. Here's more from this phenomenal piece explaining the appeal of Trump to a readership that doesn't understand anything he wrote. These people are fools. Now he goes to foreign policy. As for foreign policy, it's worth asking, God, for this alone it is worth the column. Does the world feel safer under Biden with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Hamas's and Hezbollah's assault on Israel, Houthi attacks on shipping in international waters, the Chinese open threat to invade Taiwan than it did under Trump? How often have I cited to you when I asked Neil Ferguson, one of the greatest living historians, went from Harvard to the Coover Institution at Stanford. I asked him on this program, I don't know, between a a, a half a year and a year ago. I had no idea what he would say. I really had none. That's why I asked him. I was very curious. Do you think... Putin would have invaded Ukraine if Trump were president. Zero hesitation, he answered, no. Everything is worse under Biden. Everything. But the people who vote for him, including Brett Stephens, which is the the most remarkable aspect, he acknowledges everything is worse under Biden. He's written the most powerful article to that effect that I'm reading to you right now, and we'll still vote for Biden. Because people, even the brightest, and he's very bright, are governed by emotions way too often in life. I hate Trump. That's all that matters. 
Yeah. The world is a worse place, a much more dangerous place, because Biden is president. By the way, because a Democrat is president. Under what Democrat would it be better? Gavin Newsom? Kamala Harris? Nancy Pelosi? Chuck Schumer? Who? Trump Trump may have generated a lot of noise, but his crazy talk and air of unpredictability seem to keep America's adversaries on their guard and off balance in a way that Biden's instinctive caution and feeble manner simply do not. Another sentence that just should be sent to everyone in your life. Yep. That's right. They were scared of Trump. It's good if you're scared of the American president. It's good. But that's not what the fools of the left, which is redundant, every leftist is a fool. Every liberal is naive, but not necessarily a fool. Yes, that's what they don't understand. They don't understand anything. I I am much I believe the world will have less cruelty if an American president is feared more than loved. Oh, let's love the American president. This is sixties talk that has never left us. Love your spouse and love your friends. You should even fear your parents. It's a biblical command which really rubs people the wrong way. In the meantime, when I asked on this program many years ago, why didn't you get on drugs in high school? Why didn't you start on drugs? The overwhelming majority of people answered because my mother would kill me. Ordinary voters typically care about results. What many care less about is Trump's purported offensiveness. Ironically, that's what he cares about. (laughs) How ironic. It's at least worth asking whether his occasional archy bunkerisms are any more obnoxious than the incessant offense-taking, finger-wagging, and fake prudishness of his opponents. Many of the same people who seem to have suffered fainting spells when the notorious Hollywood access tape, tape came to light were only a few years before utterly indifferent to much more serious allegations of sexual assault by Bill Clinton as Arkansas Attorney General, Governor, and later President. You can fault Trump for coarseness, but you can't predict pretend we don't live in a coarse age. Wow. N- not one person I read in the in the responses has taken on any of these points. Oh, did you hear what he said about uh, about what he could do, what you could do to women if you're very rich and famous? But Clinton didn't say private, gross things to a to a another man. In private, I am emphasize. He had accusations of genuine rape, which I happen to believe. By the way, 
I believe that Bill Clinton raped a woman, at least one woman. All of their causes are facades for their politics. I said from the beginning, I don't care what people say privately. Richard Nixon did not like Jews, apparently. He saved Israel's life. I don't care what Nixon felt about Jews. I care about whether he saved Israel's life. I am saying things that are so obvious that it takes willful foolishness not to understand them. I don't know why people want to be fools. They want to. It doesn't just occur. We shall return. Magnificent piece by Brett Stephens. As writers like Tablet's Alana Newhouse have noted, brokenness has become the defining feature of much of American life. Broken families, broken public schools, broken small towns and inner cities, broken universities, broken health care, broken media, broken churches, broken borders, broken government. At best, they have become shells of their former selves, and there's a palpable sense that the autopilot that America's institutions and their leaders are on, brain-dead and smug, can't continue. It shouldn't seem strange to Trump's opponents that a man whom we regard as an agent of chaos should be seen by his supporters as precisely the man who can sweep the decks clean. I happen to think that's exactly wrong. You don't mend damaged systems by breaking them even further. Okay, one of the rare lines that makes no sense. It's exactly what you do to a broken system. You start over. What do you what what should be done with our schools? They're broken. If eighty percent of the teachers no longer taught at public schools, especially elementary schools, and they put in I, I don't know, just people who don't believe that you bring five-year-olds to drag queen shows, maybe we would do better. If the teachers' unions ceased functioning, do you think children would suffer? I don't see Trump's opponents making headway against him until they at least acknowledge the legitimacy and power of the fundamental complaint If you're saying it's morning in America when 77% of Americans think the country is on the wrong track, you're preaching to the wrong choir and the wrong country. Final line. Trump's opponents say this is the most important election of our lifetime. Isn't it time then to take our heads out of the sand? 1-8 Prager 776. So here is the most popular comment of the 3,000 comments. 
of New York Times subscribers. That's, remember, you can't make a comment unless you have a subscription. Steve in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That's not a caller. That's the guy who wrote the most popular comment. If you understand this comment, you're better than me. So many of the, quote, pessimistic perceptions enumerated in this column are the direct result of cruel social and economic policies perpetrated against Trump's base voters for decades by Republicans who insist that people pull themselves up by mythical bootstraps while lining their pockets with tax breaks from money that could have solved these problems. Um, Oh, yeah, you didn't read that part. (laughs) You didn't read comments. (laughs) That is a very long sentence. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, 28, 30, 32, 34, 36, 38, 40, 42, 48, 50, 52, 54, 56, 58, 60, 62, 64, 66, 68, 70 words. So what exactly does it mean? All these problems were caused by people who believe Americans should pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I see. That's a very bad thing to tell people. You should really all watch. It's very moving. My fireside chats, which I hope you watch every week at PragerU. But a few weeks ago, I I only have like three guests a year. My last one was RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I know. The last one before this one was uh, this last one was Aaron, my son Aaron Prager. And he uh, he was born to a meth addict and it's, it was an issue for much of his life. He's seven years sober. He was obviously adopted but uh, at the uh, day he was born. And I asked him, when did you hit bottom? He said, when I realized that I couldn't blame others for my problems. The entire liberal, liberal as much as progressive in this case, liberal and left is the same. They're in, the entire world of those two groups is you can't help yourself. You need the state to help you. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. And A man that I've admired for quite some time is one of the courageous doctors. We should talk about courage and physicians among our many, many subjects. Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, who is a board-certified primary care physician in Orange County outside of Los Angeles. And you have a strong spiritual sense right now in your life. I do. And he's written this book, Morning Message. It's a message for every morning which combines food and health and medicine and spirituality. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. Yes. It's called Morning Message, Dispelling the Myths You've Been Told About Optimal Health is the subtitle. It is up at DennisPrager.com. Dr. Barkey, welcome back to the show. So did you happen to catch the statements by a number of uh, physicians 
that they made big mistakes during COVID? I did. I've been following it. And uh, first of all, Dennis, it is an absolute honor and a privilege to be here. I know you you don't have a lot of guests in studio. Uh, and you were kind enough, and Alan was kind enough to invite me to come in studio. So it's always an honor to be here with thank, you. Thank you. So you know about Francis Collins, for example. Yes. So just for the listeners uh, bringing up to, being brought up to speed, what did they say, or should, should I look it, it up? Yeah, I mean, if you have it, I, don't, I, I can't quote them. But at the end of the day, what they, what they didn't say was, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Uh, I'm sorry I I misled a lot of the public. But what they basically said is we look through the lens of what we think is best for health. We don't look through the lens of what our policies and recommendations are going to do to affect society. And nonetheless, that their policies were wrong, absolutely, completely wrong, and there will be no accountability, unfortunately. Um, they ruin the lives of many people, including a lot of our children. And our children continue to suffer today from the policies of these bureaucrats that live in their ivory tower. And there won't be any accountability, unfortunately. Um, We closed the schools incorrectly based on fraudulent science. Here's what we were told, Dennis. We were said, listen, kids can carry this virus without any symptoms and can spread this virus, COVID, of course, we're talking about, to other children, infect teachers, then everybody goes home and kills grandma and grandpa. Therefore, we need to close the schools and keep everybody home. Well, that's never been the case. You can't spread an illness that you don't actually have. You can't give somebody a cold if you don't have a cold yourself. Not, not to mention that we knew early on, kids, and thank God for this, Kids were not affected by COVID. If they got COVID, it was a mild cold symptom. You can look it up and don't believe me. Look at the CDC's own data. Google CDC deaths by age from COVID, and you'll see that there were very few deaths of kids less than 18 years old from COVID. And almost every single one of those deaths were in kids that had significant underlying comorbidities. What I mean by that is they had cancer. They had childhood congenital defects. They had severe, rigid diabetes and other problems that put them at risk. But kids that were otherwise healthy were at almost no risk from COVID, yet we treated them as if we were going to kill a generation full of children. And we knew this early on, but yet we followed these policies, you know, in part because of ignorance, in part because of fear, in part because the media was going out of their way, posting death counts uh, on the shows that they would broadcast and, and fearing the public into compliance. But whether it's Anthony Fauci or Collins or others, there's no accountability. There's no apology. And in my opinion, it's a crime and all these folks should be prosecuted for what they did. So I'm looking it up right now. I hope it comes up quickly. Let's see. So I looked up rates of COVID-19 cases at uh, or deaths, okay, cases or deaths? What the hell is that about? By age group and vaccination status. Who cares about cases? We don't We don't care. Last time I looked it up, and it's been a while, it was something like, I don't know, 1,500 or, or just several thousand children less than 18 that died from COVID. And then you have to really be a sleuth 
to drill down and look actually why those kids died. And every single one of them had some sort of underlying significant uh, comorbidity. So it just, it doesn't affect kids. We knew, and Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kulldorff and others from the Great Barrington Declaration, they knew that this was a risk for people that were older or that had significant underlying conditions. Okay, I did find something to, right now from Statista, which is not political. Number of coronavirus, coronavirus disease, 29, COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. as of June 14th, 2023 by age. So let's see. Let's do 65 and over. 254,065 to 74. 75 to 84, 296,000. 85 and over, 307,000. Zero to 17. 1,642. There you go. And by the way, these statistics are mostly BS. And the reason why I say that is remember that when we saw the media with their death clock, so to speak, many of those people that died so-called from COVID died with COVID and did not die as a result of COVID. So, I I mean, I I saw this personally, people that passed for some unrelated condition uh, and they happened to test positive for COVID and they were listed as a COVID death when COVID contributed nothing to their death. Never mind that we actually knew how to treat COVID and we could have saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives had we been allowed to use repurposed medications um, for, you know, for the purpose of early treatment. But we weren't. Even today, Dennis, when I call in a prescription, and I'm going to say it, and I don't care, ivermectin and or hydroxychloroquine for the use of COVID. As a matter of fact, before I came here, a patient of mine, Leslie, if you're listening, uh, texted me. She's got COVID. And my nurse is calling in a prescription for her for ivermectin. It flat out works. And yet pharmacies are still hesitant to prescribe, to dispense rather, ivermectin. And by the way, I no longer use those pharmacies that wouldn't do that during COVID. I now use the mom and pop pharmacies or compounding pharmacies like Westcliff Compounding Pharmacy in Newport Beach, where Mike, the owner, has helped me with hundreds, if not thousands, of patients. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the reality. And I heard, your, I heard a piece you were doing earlier in your show about socialized medicine. And this is what we have to look forward to if there's national socialized medicine, the disaster of a nationally run system, just like we did during COVID, where we told doctors how they would practice, we told pharmacists what they were allowed to dispense, and the lack of individuality in patient care will be a national disaster if we ever have a single-payer plan in the United States. It is amazing that the errors that cost so many lives and, and have ruined the economy and ruined the futures of millions of American children, and yet Americans don't put two and two together maybe there's something wrong with the medical profession. Oh, there's something very wrong with the medical profession. It's embarrassing now what goes on in the medical profession, and in particular in medical training these days. We're all familiar, and we have an understanding that college education is a disaster. And with some rare exceptions, like Hillsdale College, for example, um, with rare exceptions, it's woke indoctrination institutions. 
And now we've seen it even in K through 12. We've talked about this before. I started a charter school a few years back that's affiliated with Hillsdale College in Orange in Southern California. Uh, but now it's apparent that it's also the case that the woke nature, the woke movement has infected, I think that's an accurate word, uh, infected medical schools, it's infected law schools, and I don't know how we recover from it. The number of medical schools that now do not say pregnant women, they say birthing persons. Are you familiar with that? It's disgusting. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. Where, where did you go to medical school? Uh, I went to the University of California, Irvine, UC Irvine, which is in Orange, California. And do you know if they're saying birthing persons? I don't know about that particular word, but the kids there are learning about uh, transgender. Um, they're learning about DEI. Um, many of their, Are they learning medicine? Um, yeah, I guess they're learning medicine also, but they're learning the disease model of medicine, Dennis. What's that? It means there isn't a condition or a disease or, or a symptom that you have that we don't have a pharma cure for it. They're not learning about... All right, hold on. That's a critical point, what we're going to talk about. He has just written this book, Morning Message, a message for every morning for you. It's up at DennisPrager.com. One of the courageous doctors in the country is Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, board-certified primary care physician in the L.A. area in Southern California, Orange County. And he has an interesting book out which is uh, about life, really. It's, a, it's called Morning Message, Dispelling the Myths You've Been Told About Optimal Health. Because you have, uh, I hate to use the term because it was opted, co-opted by the hippies from my generation, but you have, I w- is it fair to say, a wholeness approach to health? A holistic approach. You know, my, my belief and my purpose of writing this book was really to share with as many people as I could and influence as many people as I could about how to live your life healthfully without needing doctors, without needing to go to hospitals, and to show people that what we've been told about health now for a generation is incorrect. It's a lie. It's a fraud. So Morning Message was designed. It's not a narrative where you read it as a story. It's no, filled it's a with, message a day. It's filled with pearls, and right. it comes from my Instagram posts that I've been uh, posting on for the last couple of years, rx4liberty, rx4for-liberty. And Morning Message is available ideally through morningmessage.com, but it's also on Amazon, and there are signed hard copies available on both morningmessage.com and Amazon. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, I think it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited how it came out. Uh, Kirk Cameron, who has become a personal friend and he is a patient, um, I'm not sharing anything that he hasn't disclosed himself. Uh, he was very generous in writing the foreword. What he wrote, I don't think I'm worthy of, but it was very kind of him. And as well as, you know, your friend, Will Witt, who was formerly a PragerU, now lives in Florida. He wrote a foreword, and you've had this person on who I admire, and that's Dr. Joe Latipo, who's a Surgeon General of Florida. Uh, he wrote a foreword as well. I think just reading the forewords is worth purchasing the book, to be quite well, honest with you. it's quite a trio. 
the attack who just attacked Joseph Latipo tremendously was it the was it the New York Times? I, I read it on the air. It was some vicious attack on, on the man. Of course, yeah, of course is right. So let's go back to your point there on uh, how so much of what we've been told by the medical establishment has been wrong over the course of generations now, and the, their approach is: if there's something wrong, we have a far, we have a drug for you. We have a medicine for you. Correct. Did I, am, I, am I paraphrasing you correctly? Yes. And why why is that mindset there? Well, it's there in part because of profits and because of the insidious relationship between the pharmaceutical industry and government. You know, the CDC and the FDA used to be funded entirely by taxpayer dollars, as it should be. And they're supposed to have the backs of the American people, in particular the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. But now about 50% of the budget of the FDA comes from the industries that they are overseeing, and it shouldn't be that way. So I'm sure there's good individuals that work there, but the institution as a whole... What, is it, what does that mean? It, it's funded by th- uh, institutions that they oversee, for example. Um, for example, when a drug company wants to get a product approved, they pay the FDA a user fee in order for the FDA to review whatever product it is that they want to bring to market. And as a result, the user fees have increased, and the budget that they use at the FDA comes so 50%. So fi- Pfizer helps fund the CDC? Correct. How many Americans know that? Uh, probably not many. I'm trying to think of an analogy because the absurdity of it is so obvious. Here's the analogy. Yeah. Imagine that the EPA, Environmental yeah, Protection right. Agency, was funded by ExxonMobil. Right. Would we, would well, we trust well, what it, they say? Well, imagine what the New York Times, how ballistic it would go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, l- listen, these organizations can be saved. Uh, we talked a little bit about Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's, of course, running for president. His idea is to defund these organizations, return them back to being funded only by taxpayer dollars, and maybe equally important, have these agencies be overseen by elected people, not by the administrative state. So right now they're overseen by bureaucrats that are not accountable to the voters, and they should be overseen only by people that are elected by the voters, so there's some accountability, and they're not right now. And so back to your your question about Uh, conditions and drugs and and the American people are told on TV when you watch football games or baseball games. I was watching playoffs yesterday. There's ad after ad after ad by some pharma company telling you that if you have this rash or that rash, that there's a drug that will make it better. I believe that God created us pretty perfectly. He didn't make a mistake. And if we learn how to take care of our bodies— we have enormous healing potential, far more powerful than the pharma industry wants us to believe. The problem is nobody is teaching us how to take care of our body. So, for example, one of the pages in the book is the great eight, eight things that you can do that are free that could dramatically improve your health. Number one, morning sunshine. Unfortunately, we're told that the sun is bad for us. The opposite is true. The sun is so healthy for us. 
Our skin is solar panels for our body. We need to get out in the sun more without sunscreen, by the way. So morning for sunshine. How long? Ideally 15, 20 minutes a day. Morning. Right, that's important that people know that. You're not saying sunbathe. No, I don't want anybody to get burnt. Of course not. But graduated exposure to the sun is so healthy for and, us. And so why start the day with it? Because is, morning, is that, morning is that important? Yes, morning sun is particularly good because of the light waves, the UV that is present in the morning. It helps if you want to sleep better. Expose yourself to morning sun. It resets the circadian rhythm in our brain. That's fascinating. It Let increase- me ask uh, my producer: Do you do that? Well, um, you well you run each morning, so you're in the sun. Um, it's not the sun isn't out yet. Oh, that's right. Now, the question is, you know, of course, we're blessed to live in Southern California where the sun is often out, but I have patients this that is, are all over the this country. This is a really important list. All right, we're going to continue with it. Morning Messages is book up at the website back in a moment. I'm speaking to Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, who has written in another book. I, I, didn't I write the foreword to your original book? You did. The first book was yes. about COVID. Yeah. Morning message, and it's it's a message a day on health and on all of life, spiritually and psychologically and medically. So you have a list of eight things in your book. Is that one day's message, or is it eight days messages? No, it was one day's. It was a post um, that I put on social media uh, that was meaningful to me, and most importantly, I'm always being asked, you know, what do I do to stay healthy? And isn't it expensive to do some of these things? And the answer is no, it's not. You, it, for free, you can do a few things that will dramatically impact your health. And sunshine. All right, so the first is sunshine. Morning sunshine. And, and, and again, I want to repeat for people, you, 20 minutes is fine. You're, you're, you don't, it doesn't have to be out there a long time. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll just read them and then we can talk okay, about each fine. one individually. Okay. Morning sunshine, number two, breath work, number three, meditation, number four, exercise, number five, cold water, number six, grounding, number seven, hugs, number eight, directly from you, Dennis, you taught me this, gratitude, and then there's a bonus, number nine, and that is pet a purring cat. <laughs> Unless you're allergic. <laughs> Unless you're allergic. Uh, Sean is offended he has a dog. Oh, sorry, Sean. I, listen, I love all animals, including dogs. Um, I know you lost a beloved dog recently, Otto. I've, as a matter of fact, I've got a selfie with Otto. And, you do? Um, I do. That yeah. is rare. I know. That, that's yeah. a collector's item. Uh, but I do have two cats. Dogs are just more difficult. They take a lot more time. No for kidding. And so forth. That's correct. They are more affectionate, though. So for those that know me on social media, many of them are texting me right now because they're listening live. Rx for Liberty is my social media Instagram. They know and they've seen. I have a cat named Winston and a new kitten named Larry. So it was a a, a woman from, uh, I don't remember what country, said, you Americans are really bizarre. You give humans <laughs> animal names and animals human names. I know. So when you said Larry, I thought that's a perfect no, example. No, I didn't name it Larry. The person I got it from named it Larry. And if you've ever watched the show Modern Family, uh, the gay couple on the show had a cat named Larry. 
And so these folks that rescued these cats, they had so many of them, they just started picking names and they thought that would be cute. And I thought it was so unusual that I decided to keep the cat's name as Larry. By the way, while we're talking about that, and then of course I want to continue on that list of eight things, do you have any thoughts on cat allergies? Yeah, sure. What do you mean, thoughts on it? Yeah, well, in other words, is there is there a natural way to counteract that? Uh, I wheeze in the presence of, of a cat. Well, sure. So um, there are natural ways. So for starters, in order for you to wheeze from that cat, whatever it is, the cat pollen or the cat dander has to get into your nose and throat for then your body to react for it. So if you did nothing but simply rinse out your nose and throat with sterile saline or even a little dilute hydrogen peroxide, you will reduce the reaction that you have. And certainly if you're Do going... Do it while I am in the presence of the sure, cat be, before, or before? Beforehand and while you're in the presence and immediately following. And then, of course, if you know you're going over to a friend or family's house who has a cat, you could uh, preemptively use an antihistamine, for example, one of the non-sedating antihistamines, to reduce the reaction that you might have. Right. Sean wants to know if you could wear a mask. He And the doctor is laughing. He's not a mask aficionado. Yeah, I don't think that's going right. to be... Uh, although, interestingly, I don't I don't know. That may may actually be one, one of, of the, the only very uses. few yes, uses exactly. of a mask. That's really funny. All right, so all right, after sunshine, what was number two? Number two is breath work. Okay, what does that mean? Well, there are techniques of breathing that can be very therapeutic and helpful. There's a guy that I follow. He's kind of got a funny name. He's from Holland. His name is Wim... Hoff, W-I-M, last name Hoff, H-O-F-F, look it up. Um, and then there are a variety of ways to practice breathing. It's, in effect, a form of meditation, if you will. And if you did nothing but that, it can have a profound effect on your health. Help calm you down, reduce cortisol, uh, reduce your fight-or-flight reaction, stimulate your immune system, reduce inflammation, and so forth. Um, so it's a it's a wonderful and how free long and easy. Do, you, do you breathe like that all day or just for some time in the morning? No, what I do is um, and don't do this right away. Work your way up to it. Thirty reps times three. Deep breath. Let it out normally. Repeat thirty times. Please do not do this thirty times the first time. Do it maybe three well, or you'll four get times. Dizzy or, you'll get dizzy. Uh, I see. All right, and, we'll be back in a moment. This is fascinating. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.